If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn, your host for this episode of Under the Dome for the week of Monday, January 9th, 2023. Happy New Year, everybody. Here today with my NNO politics team colleague, Will Dorham. And as you're listening to this, the legislative session, the long session, is actually almost underway. Happy long session week, everybody. Uh, well, the first day anyway. So that's what we're going to uh, talk to you about, um, prep you a little bit on what's going to happen on Wednesday. So this is the swearing in for all the new lawmakers in the House and the Senate. And it's really just going to be just so one day, and then they leave for two weeks and come back. Will, you have covered the legislature longer than I have when I didn't, I wasn't there for the start of a long session that wasn't COVID era, which made things a little bit different. So is it kind of just another day? Is it more for like the lawmakers themselves to be excited about the ceremony and their families? What What's it like really when it, it starts? Yeah, it'll just be, you know, families there and you know, people taking pictures and shaking hands and fun times and then, uh, you know, get down to the nitty gritty of things later. Uh, but at the very beginning, it's all smiles and happy feelings, uh, you know, before everyone has to start dealing with the uh, the reality of, of deal making in politics. Right. Smiles and happy feelings. <laughs> uh, this past week, the there's a little bit of... Um, minor action going on at the building. It seems like all the renovations to some of the committee rooms and the legislative building are done. I haven't been in the LOB lately, uh, but those committee rooms were already renovated before the last session, I believe. So it's a similar treatment for those small committee rooms um, in the LB, and it's the little glass partition with the state seal on it, the same way you'll see in the, the big committee rooms over in the legislative office building. There's fewer chairs, for those of you that keep track of chairs. Uh, and it's a, a little bit better technology-wise. The table seems updated. So that's kind of what's been going on in, in those committee rooms. And it's been a lot of orientation. One of the committee rooms the other day, just uh, it was like clerk orientation. And and I, th- I think it's, I'm sure, LAs have already had their orientation. And the lawmakers are pretty, hopefully by now, since <laughs> it's about to start, are well past their orientation, which I think a lot of them did did last month. So what I saw uh, when I was at the building one, one day recently was just office moves and that sort of thing. And, and that's kind of what the lawmakers are doing. So uh, so that Wednesday, what we um, what you can expect is a lot of crowds. If you've been to the building lately for anything, it's like a lot of empty hallways and that is all going to change, uh, especially that first day, partly for what Will was saying with the uh, you know, the smiles and happy feelings with everyone at first before you have to do a lot of the uh, the actual politicking um, of, of negotiating. Uh, but that's great. It's their, it's the lawmakers' chance to um, show their families where they work or where they're going to be spending a lot of time, probably a lot of time, I guess, like long session wise. 
um, and then they'll take a break for two weeks. They'll also do their own elections. Also, the first day, everyone is going to give speeches. Uh, Senator Berger will give a speech. Uh, House Speaker Moore will give a speech. Some other people in the chambers will be giving speeches, maybe out in the halls giving speeches, too. <laughs> we'll see. It'll be really different than the U.S. House has been recently. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about that later, maybe, in our in our headliner of the week. So let's talk about what's what's different this time. Um, and it's all about like the numbers and who's in the room, right? Well, yeah, yeah, uh, it is, you know, like with everything, it's it comes down to the votes. Um, and, and it will definitely be different. Um, you know, this past, you know, as people know, the legislature really operates in two year cycles. So, in, you know, the odd numbered years like this, you have the long session where they're going to really be dealing with the budget and doing most of the the big policy stuff. Um, you know, the even years is usually they're not around for very long and they're just kind of tweaking some stuff because, you know, they got to go and start running for election um, since they run for election every two years. But so this is the year that, since it's 2023, an odd numbered year where they're really going to be doing everything. And unlike in 2021, when their time was really just focused almost entirely on COVID, um, that's not really going to be the case this time. Um, and then on top of that, uh, you know, there's a Republican supermajority in the Senate, close to it in the House. Um, so there's going to be a lot of, you know, trying to figure out, you know, okay, do we, do we actually try to push for this bill from the Republican side? Like, do we actually have the votes to get something like this passed? Um, you know, cause you know, in years past when the governor has been able to veto bills you know we've we've seen some kind of messaging bills that the republicans have passed knowing that it was going to get vetoed but they just wanted to to pass it anyways um because they felt it was important to their base but like you know now the for a lot of big things they actually have a shot of doing it um so you know there needs to be you know probably a lot of you know of thought put into like okay what are the actual details going to be since <laughs> There's a chance that, you know, we might actually be able to pass this into law. The dog that caught the car. So now that you do, you know, um, Governor Cooper is painting those bills. He told me, you know, in an interview last month that um, I believe he called it business killing culture war type of legislation. And the key phrase, and I mean, you can figure out why he, he chose that phrasing of business killing. If you look at HB2, that definitely hurt the state's business. So... Do these other bills have the, because Parents' Bill of Rights is probably going to come back up, which um, is about L LGBTQ issues, um, factoring into schools, and then regulating how um, K-12 public schools talk and teach about race, uh, which was a different bill that did pass, uh, that Cooper vetoed in 2021, and then this past year in 2022 was the Parents' Bill of Rights bill, which, which did not go to Cooper's desk. So if those come up together in one bill, and it actually passes, and they have the votes for that to become law or to, and to override uh, Cooper's veto, what is that actually going to mean for the, the economy of the state? And I think that all of them are thinking about that uh, because, you know, the lowering the individual income tax rate, the corporate tax rate, all those other things that people like money-wise, there's still a lot of other money factor on on outside spending in the state, on sports, obviously, is a huge thing. So those are going to play into it. 
So we'll find out if those if those show up, how they show up, or if it's things that some members of the caucus want, but and the Republican caucus, and then ends up watered down quite a bit. So it's not quite as uh, as detrimental to the economy as it could be, or potentially they could just scrap it, depending on how much attention they get, because they're probably going to get a lot of attention from another big issue that's coming up, uh, which is of course abortion. And now that it's up to state legislatures to make the laws about abortion restrictions, there's going to be some sort of bill, like uh, Moore and Berger have said, that will advance. Now, there's probably going to be lots of bills that are filed. Probably, my guess would be more in the House, wouldn't you say, as far as just because there's so many of them and because they have the ability to just file something if they feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. We saw, I mean, we, we've seen for years, you know, some some House Republicans have filed um, like the the fetal heartbeat abortion bans and things like that. And those have never moved forward. Um, so, you know, I, I think we will continue to see a lot of different, as you said, abortion bills filed. This year, you know, the question or the the important thing to note, though, is that, you know, just because something's filed, even if it gets filed by a Republican, doesn't necessarily mean it actually has a shot at passing. Um, and so that's going to be a big question this year. Um, you know, Republican leadership is going to have a lot of options on what exactly to do with abortion. They're feeling a lot of pressure from the base to do something on abortion. Um, but they also have seen you know, in other states and just in national politics, kind of how tricky of an issue that can be. It's really not popular with a majority of the population to to have these really strict abortion bans. Of either party. And then when it was at Kentucky that actually put it on the um, on the ballot and then they're like, oh, OK, well, you know, things are a little bit different again with like the dog catching the car type of thing. We're like you you have it. It's in your control now. What are you going to do that's the best for your caucus, your constituents, what's that <clears throat> phrase, your conscience, your caucus, your constituents, whatever, whatever order, depending, you know, your campaign, your, you know, like what your district is going to look like next election is probably a big factor in, in things too, right? Well, and, and putting aside the actual policy decision and, you know, what, what might be the best, you know, just for policy reasons, you obviously have to acknowledge the politics of it, which are that one, there are basically no competitive districts in the state legislature. There are a handful, um, but for the most part, everyone's race is decided in the primary. And so, and that's for both the Democrats and for the Republicans. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of pressure on, especially the Republicans on the abortion issue to do something pretty strict because that's going to help them avoid a primary challenge um, in 2024. But also in 2024, We've got a really just a big unknown with the governor's race since Roy Cooper is term limited, can't run again. And so they're going to be thinking, okay, well, like, you know, on one hand, like, you know, all of our Republican caucus members, like, probably want to do something like fairly aggressive on abortion to try and head off any sort of primary challenge that they might face in 2024. But on the other hand, is that going to hand the governor's race to the Democrats yet again? Let's um, continue talking about that after we take a quick break. We'll we'll come back and talk more about 2024, the upcoming legislative session, and then we'll also share our picks for headliner of the week. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm News and Observer Politics reporter Don Vaughn here with my colleague Will Doran. 
Before the break, we were doing a little 2024 forecasting, which is always fun. And we already have, we are talking about the gubernatorial race. I just like saying gubernatorial. It's a great word. <laughs> but also um, labor commissioner, uh, John Hardister, the state house member, has already thrown his hat into the ring for that. Um, uh, rep- Representative Ben Moss, too. Right, right. Moss, too. Um, uh, Hal Weatherman, who maybe most recently, well, he worked for uh, Madison Cawthorn, but on the state factor, he's probably more recognizable as working for former Lieutenant Governor uh, Dan Forrest. Uh, Weatherman is running um, mm-hmm. for council. I honestly forgot what council of state position is Lieutenant Governor. <laughs> there's a there's a list that we'll thank um, Professor Bitzer for. That's the spreadsheet of what everyone's what everyone's running for. The lieutenant governor race is always fun because it's so big and the job has like very little power. So everyone's like, yeah, I wanna try this and maybe it'll get me to the executive mansion. Not always, it's worked for some people and, and not for others. So um, that'll probably be, um, a, I think a fun race to watch. I don't know, what do you think? Or- I think, isn't Beth Perdue the only lieutenant governor, at least in you know the past, couple decades to to actually become governor i think they've all eventually run for governor but most of them have lost i'm trying to remember i did a story the last when it was like the 17 people primary and we were talking to her i think walter dalton was the like did not win and i'm trying to remember who else dennis wicker didn't even win the democratic primary when when you he lost to uh japan i believe yeah yeah so it doesn't but it gets you a lot of attention as it did for our uh, our has for our current lieutenant governor mark robinson which circles us back to 2024 he is the apparent you know like there's tillis hasn't gotten into the race if he's thinking about switching jobs or trying to switch jobs it doesn't look like it'll happen this time probably because of the primary like you were saying right and whether or not you can win a primary yeah uh, mark robinson is certainly a uh, formerly candidate um he's very popular with the gop base you know i think if you talk to some gop insiders there's a little bit of worry that it might be a repeat of dan forrest when he ran that he just ran away with the primary. Um, you know, it was never really a question. Um, but when it came to the general election, voters saw him as just being a little too far right. Um, and, you know, Rick Cooper ended up winning that race in 2020 by a, a fairly large margin, even as, you know, Donald Trump also won the state. It wasn't as big, I think, as some some operatives had, had hoped. Um, that was probably more of a COVID referendum because Forrest was like, no restrictions, no masks for anybody, right in the middle of it. And Cooper, everyone listening has lived through this. So we all know exactly like how, how it went with Cooper and why a lot of people weren't happy or were happy, you know, long, long range as far as how that, that panned out. But I mean, statewide, Robinson has said some things that women and LGBTQ people maybe statewide aren't as happy about as a primary base. So whether or not you can you can win the whole state is uh, that's in the air. If he you know he's aligned himself with Trump, and that hasn't worked out for a lot of candidates lately at all. Even as we're recording this, uh, McCarthy running for speaker. So, but it worked for some people, I guess. You know, so you don't know. And again, 2024 is a long way away. We haven't talked about the Democratic candidate yet, which of course everyone expects is Attorney General Josh Stein. But it might not only be Stein. It's, you know, 
it's probably who, like, I'm sure all of y'all that are listening right now, um, maybe Stein is listening to or working on how do you get that party support and all of the money if they think that you're going to win that primary and then worry about the general after that, I guess, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would expect the primary to be really crowded on both sides since it is fairly rare to have, you know, an, a, an open seat uh, for governor. I think one thing that's going to be really interesting to do to, to watch as well is something the legislature is going to be doing this session is yet again redistricting. Um, you know, it might seem like we do this basically every other year, um, and that's true. Uh, it, you know, our maps keep getting ruled unconstitutional, and so we come back and drop again, and the cycle just continues. Um, they're ruled unconstitutional last year, and uh, state law says since uh, the courts drew their own maps, um, which currently led to uh, what we have now, which is a even seven to seven split in our congressional seats, seven Republicans, seven Democrats. Um, since that was a court drawn map, it could only be used for one election. Um, so now that election of 2022 is over and legislature is going to come back in and do it all again. And uh, the difference now is that the Democratic majority on the Supreme Court is gone. They're the ones who ruled the maps unconstitutional. Uh, every single Republican on the Supreme Court dissented against that ruling um, and said that they don't think courts should even have the power to weigh in on this at all. You know, it wasn't a matter of like, well, we didn't think it really hit the threshold. It was just this isn't an issue for courts to even be deciding. So everyone expects that it's going to be basically impossible um, for anyone to win a gerrymandering lawsuit at the state level now. Um, so tell us why this, you know, this is a different branch of government, why the new state Supreme Court is such a factor this upcoming session. Yeah, well, it's it switched to Republican control. Um, and, you know, outside groups dumped millions and millions and millions of dollars into the races. Um, mostly actually DC, like redistricting focused groups. Um, you know, so it's really no surprise, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, all of these millions of dollars went to electing candidates who are, you know, likely going to vote a certain way on redistricting. So we're probably going to see the map move from a 7-7 split to, I would expect, probably 10-4 or 11-3 in favor of Republicans, maybe even 12-2. I don't know if that's possible. Um, but taking this back to the governor's race, one area that we know that Republicans are really interested in creating some more Republican-leaning seats in our congressional map is Greensboro area, which is also where Mark Robinson is from. So that's going to be a really interesting factor to watch, I think. And, you know, they're, they're almost certainly going to come after uh, Kathy Manning, the Democratic representative from Greensboro, basically gerrymander her out of Congress. Um, and, you know, one of those new seats in that area, in the Greensboro area, Maybe Mark Robinson will want to run for that instead of for governor. I don't know. Um, you know, the, the governor's office in North Carolina is, really doesn't have a ton of power. No, even less after the new law on emergency management that um, powers that went, in, went into effect January 1st. Yeah. Yes, Don wrote a good story about this recently. Uh, I'll do a plug for her. Everyone should go read her, her story on, on that uh, that law further restricting the governor's powers going into effect. But it's interesting how state government controls federal government is in on that factor you know as far as with the districts and maps so it's it, it's always fun and i probably if you're listening to this you, you all agree um the interaction of the different levels of government and 
be like, why would you, you know, making a district for someone to leave the state to go to Congress? Like, that's interesting. Has that happened before <laughs> attempted? I think we all know the answer to that. Um, and we'll see it again. So sometimes it's a way of getting somebody out of your out of your way at the state level, uh, or maybe it's it's also a promotion if you want to think about it that way or you want it. So uh, we'll see. I can see a lot of people thinking it's, you know, way more fun to be in Congress than it is to be governor. Yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Members of Congress, you can you can tell us what what's more fun. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe a former governor or soon to be former governor would want to run for Congress for or the the other the Senate anyway. We'll find out. Um, all right, so let's um, get to our picks for headliner of the week. Um, I'll go for, first. You guys are listening to this on January 9th or later, but we're recording on January 6th, so I didn't want to not mention that obviously is the anniversary of the. Um, attempted insurrection in the riots at the United States Capitol. And it's interesting to see what's been playing out with the U.S. House Speaker election. And uh, it's kind of part of the story arc of all of this, out of um, Trump's presidency from January 6th, just the lawmakers that have um, survived or haven't or joined um, Congress and how everybody is going to work together in the future of the of the Republican Party. Um, so my headliner of the week is the anniversary of January 6th, which I guess I sort of mentioned a little bit of your headliner, Will. Sorry. Um, spoiler alert. All right, Will, what's your headliner? <laughs> On a very similar note, yeah, I mean, everyone's been just glued to this House Speaker uh, situation in Congress. Um, and you know, I think there's a tendency among uh, some Democrats to just kind of laugh about it um, and, you know, giggle and have their popcorn. But, you know, on the other hand, it's, you know, it's kind of here's democracy in action, you know. Um, you know, it shows that, you know, even though people are, you know, all in the same political party, there's divisions within those parties and not everyone gets along. So it's been really interesting to watch um, and also pretty funny as well. Um but uh, obviously, who knows what will have happened in that, you know, by the time people are listening to this podcast. But uh, if Kevin McCarthy does decide to throw in the towel on this, our colleague Danielle Battaglia wrote that a uh, Dark Horse candidate is North Carolina Representative Patrick McHenry. Um, he's not really well known statewide, but he's a pretty big presence in D.C. Um, he's pretty influential in uh, Republican leadership up there. Um, and is this his moment? Could be. Well, um, we'll find out what happens um, down here with our own state house speaker race. It's just going to be, you know, more hazard. And the, yeah, there, there's no drama at the state level. <laughs> oh, the, unless y'all want to make some drama, we'll be there for it. So, all right. Well, we look forward to seeing everyone over at the over at the legislature coming up, um, and then once they get to the actual lawmaking work, um, you know, just ahead of February, most likely. So, all right. For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn with Will Doran. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.